the question is why is a quarterback who has been um, moderately successful in the league all of a sudden nobody wants to touch him wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag to say get that son of a bitch off the field right now out he's fired he's fired I think his claim against the NFL is very problematic. This is Briefly, a new podcast from the University of Chicago Law Review. Today we're talking about Colin Kaepernick. He's the NFL quarterback who knelt during the national anthem and set off a national controversy. Just this week, he filed a grievance against the NFL under the league's collective bargaining agreement. Kaepernick has been out of work and has yet to be picked up by any teams. And his grievance claims that the owners have colluded to prevent him from finding employment because of his protests and because of his political stand. Today, we're going to look at his argument. Join us as we assess his grievance claim, as well as other potential legal options he has under federal and state law. Let's start with the grievance. Well, first of all, the the league will have a chance to respond to it and will all but certainly deny it. Um, And then it can go to an impartial arbitrator uh, for an adjudicatory hearing. That's Professor Leroy, a professor at the School of Labor and Employment Relations and a professor at the College of Law, the University of Illinois. Uh, He's claiming that uh, he's been blackballed uh, because of his political viewpoint. So um, there's a a sort of a, a dual character to his complaint. Um, He specifically mentions uh, President Trump's speech on September 22nd. Uh, That is the speech where uh, Trump uh, told people that uh, these sons of bitches should be fired. Um, Highly inflammatory, racial overtones, uh, little doubt about that, and little doubt that Kaepernick is uh, the implied target of it. But legally speaking, um, that starts the clock on his grievance. Now, the dual character is he's saying um, um, that is um, the point at which um, teams mobilized not to hire him. Um, The dual part is he also says he's been blackballed since um, he took a knee uh, uh, the prior season. So, you know, he wants to have the timeline go both ways, September 22nd with the inflammatory speech and earlier. Um, having said that, uh, it's it's notable what's missing from his grievance. Um, he doesn't have any specific proof of two or more teams that are colluding. So essentially, he his grievance is, is claiming what many NFL fans, myself included, believe, which is his his – uh, not playing is really a product of um, a political motivation to keep him out. And while that makes sense intuitively uh, and maybe the reality, once he's at arbitration, he's going to have a preponderance of proof standard. And I don't think that kind of evidence, um, if you can call it evidence, would reach that threshold. I mean, collusion is is a legal term, and it requires an agreement between two or more actors to deprive somebody of rights under a contract in this context. And um, the optics that lead to that conclusion um, are a partial proof. I don't deny that. But I don't think that gets him to 50 percent and a feather, which is what he needs to succeed on his claim. So Professor Leroy says his grievance may not be that strong. 
But let's pause to consider what other legal options Kaepernick could have pursued. There are two possible routes, federal and state. Let's start with Title VII and possible federal anti-discrimination claims. Title VII was part of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That's Professor Randall Schmidt, a clinical professor at the University of Chicago Law School who specializes in employment law, and in particular, employment discrimination. Um, there were various parts of that act, but Title VII dealt with employment in, or uh, discrimination in the employment context. It outlaws um, or prohibits employers from basing employment discriminations on protected categories. Title VII protected uh, race, sex, national origin, and color. So could he sue the NFL itself under Title VII? The first problem with his claim against the NFL is the NFL is not his employer. Title VII only uh, protects employees from discrimination by an employer. There is another possible claim he would have is that the NFL as an employer of other employees is interfering with his ability to obtain employment with some of the NFL teams. That also, I think, is problematic, um, primarily because he would need some evidence, um, which at least I don't think exists at this point, that the NFL told these other teams not to hire him. Uh, So an example of that would be a doctor who works at a hospital, isn't employed by the hospital, but the hospital issues an order that he or she no longer has admitting privileges. And the doctor would sue that hospital saying, you're impacting my ability earn a living. Um, in those cases, they, they're decided on other issues, but there's some clear evidence that the hospital is making the decision and in fact uh, uh, impacting the person's ability to, to work. There could be an argument that he has a claim that the owners are retaliating against him for his exercise of his First Amendment rights. The problem with those claims is first, uh, as a in the private employment situation, you do not have um, First Amendment rights. Uh, that only applies to the government. The government can't um, um, take action against you because of your speech. Um, and then the retaliation, so there could be an argument, well, he's the victim of retaliation because he, they're retaliating against him for complaining about discrimination in society. The retaliation part of Title VII requires the retaliation be for opposing discrimination in the workplace, not in society as in um, general. So I don't think he has a retaliation claim, and I don't think he has some First Amendment claim either. Schmidt says that although he probably can't sue the NFL under Title VII, he might have a better shot at suing an individual team, such as the San Francisco 49ers. As is typical in law school, we start with a case. Uh, So in 1973, the Supreme Court decided the case of McDonnell Douglas versus Green, which sets forth the basic framework for proving an employment discrimination case. And the first step is that the plaintiff has to create a prima facie case. And that prima facie case consists of four elements, um, some of which I think would exist um, and be pretty undisputed others which may be a little bit more uh, problematic, but those elements are that he would have to prove he's a member of a protected group. Um, he's African-American, so he meets that qualification. The second is that he would be has to prove that he's qualified, and that is somewhat subjective. 
Um, but I think based on his performance records and stuff, he certainly is as good, if not better, than a fair number of quarterbacks in the league right now, including some starting quarterbacks. Ultimately, the statistics provide a mixed picture. ESPN's website, 538.com, compared Kaepernick's career stats to other quarterbacks. His stats are good, but not great. 538 claims, however, that out of the unemployed quarterbacks from this past offseason, Kaepernick ranks towards the top. But on the other hand, in 2016, when his protest started, his stats had notably declined. In a normal year, he probably should have been hired by now. In fact, 538 says that since 1966, only one quarterback under the age of 30 has had as good a year as Kaepernick did in 2016, yet remained unsigned. Of note, Jay Cutler, who, according to 538, ranks below Kaepernick in overall stats, was hired by the Miami Dolphins in August. For this second element, it's unclear how Kaepernick would fare. The third element would be that um, he applied for a job uh, and was rejected. Uh, And that's where it's kind of a a problem because the NFL doesn't have this formal application process. It's not like teams post on Craigslist or somewhere were looking for a quarterback and he would apply. Um, The NFL application process is usually tryouts, inviting people to camp, things like that. And so they don't really post that they have an opening for a quarterback. Um, So he would have to be in a situation where a team invited him for a tryout. Um, The fourth element of the prime facie case would be that he would have to show that although he was qualified for the position and applied for it, they uh, didn't select him and continued to seek applicants with the same or similar qualifications. And again, I think that might be um, a little bit easier for him to um, prove because I assume those teams that would invite him for uh, tryouts would try out other players uh, or continue to seek uh, quarterbacks. Uh, so assuming he could get through the prima facie case, McDonald Douglas says the second stage is for the uh, employer to articulate a legitimate non-discriminatory reason for its action. And uh, in this case, and we'll just use the Miami Dolphins as an example, um, when their quarterback got injured, they uh, hired Jay Cutler. Professor Schmidt says that an example of a legitimate purpose behind hiring Jay Cutler over Colin Kaepernick could have been the fact that the Miami Dolphins head coach, Adam Gase, had worked with Cutler before. They were both with the Chicago Bears. And that would be very hard for, for Kaepernick to, to rebut that type of um, personal relationship, prior relationship between the, the coaching staff and, and Cutler. But assuming, um, you know, it was a different team in a different situation, there are a couple potential defenses the teams um, would, could articulate that would not be sufficient. And the one that, you know, I hear all the time is customer preference. Well, our fans don't want us to hire uh, Kaepernick. And Title VII doesn't allow an employer to articulate as its legitimate reason customer preference. Uh, An employer can't say, well, I only hire uh, uh, male servers because my customers don't want females, or I only hire white servers because my customers don't want blacks. 
that's not a legitimate non-discriminatory reason for not hiring someone. We get through that stage, um, the, the final stage of the McDonnell-Douglas prima facie case, or a, um, standard of uh, methodology approving these cases, is that Kaepernick would still have to show that this legitimate non-discriminatory reason was really a pretext for discrimination. Uh, and, and that would also be difficult based on the facts at this point. It could get easier now that more and more players are part of the, the protests that started this. Uh, so if um, a, a white quarterback uh, somehow protested during the national anthem, became a free agent, and was hired by a team, Kaepernick could point to that where, you know, even though I'm not being hired for, because I, you know, took a knee, this white player was, uh, and that would make out his prime fish case. So you can see throughout this process, he has a lot of hurdles to overcome to, to state a viable Title VII claim. But in our system of federalism, Kaepernick could go to the states. Um, Colin Kaepernick, uh, because he was employed in California um, when he was protesting uh, during the national anthem, um, he could pursue a constitutional claim, uh, likely under Article 1, Section 1. Um, employees have filed uh, complaints related to um, privacy, but also associational rights and expressive rights, uh, and have been successful with that. California Labor Code 1101 prohibits employers from making, adopting, or enforcing any rule, regulation, or policy that forbids or controls or tends to control their employees' political activities. So that certainly is a promising um, avenue for him. Having said that, it's also important to keep in mind that teams have uh, property rights, um, and that's where these free speech cases bog down. Um, um, in states that have uh, statutory or constitutional protections for, for private sector speech among employees, the question then becomes, where are you speaking? Um, if you're speaking on Twitter, um, that's, that's off property. Um, if you're at a, a rally, that's off property. But if you are uh, taking a knee literally on the turf uh, where the team owns the property or rents the property, then the employer um, comes back and, and defends its action saying, we too have rights and they're called property rights and we have a right to regulate speech on our property. So those are very fact specific, but in general, property rights are viewed as outweighing speech rights. So I think it does matter where the protest is occurring and it's occurring on the employer's property. So although 1101 looks promising, uh, at the end of the day, there's a balancing mechanism and um, I'm not, uh, I, I can't say conclusively, but I think Kaepernick would have a problem with it given the protest is on the employer's property. He could also file under uh, California's Fair Employment and Housing Act. FIHA is one of the most potent anti-discrimination laws in the country. Um, the relevance of it is it goes beyond Title VII. It has much broader doctrines of discrimination. Um, uh, so there, there's a. It, it just um, um, this is a message about um, police uh, brutality toward blacks. It, um, and so in that sense, he would frame this as retaliation for political expression. 
um, what's important about these three different levels of um, potential uh, recourse um, is that they pertain to private sector employment. And whereas in many states, uh, employment is strictly at will, California has these uh, extra layers of protection that are available. Having said that, it's, it's very difficult um, for an NFL player to maintain an action apart from the collective bargaining process. Um, so there is a comprehensive collective bargaining agreement. It's almost 400 pages long. When uh, players sue, um, they are often confronted by an argument from the league uh, that the National Labor Relations Act and the underlying collective bargaining agreement, those preempt state actions. Um, so to the extent that you would um, uh, need to look at the labor agreement in order to interpret whether he has an independent cause of action or if it is intertwined with um, the collective bargaining agreement, most of those uh, cases fall out on the side of the NFL, not on the players. Um, that's not a certainty, but it's a probability. And that's largely in part because the CBA has covered so many areas for uh, players and, and so forth. Um, let me just raise another issue altogether, which is um, he could file a complaint with the NLRB. And uh, the NLRB, the, the National Labor Relations Act protects concerted activity. Um, the reason I'm mentioning it is that um, this has been a all of a sudden a very rich area for um, the labor board uh, to rule. Um, it has been there since the inception of the NLRA. In fact, just such a claim has been filed, although not for Colin Kaepernick, but rather against the Dallas Cowboys after Cowboys owner Jerry Jones instructed his players to stand for the national anthem or else. United Labor Union's Local 100 filed the complaint with the National Labor Relations Board, saying on their Facebook page, Sorry, Jerry, you're over the line, partner. Uh, the NLRB has broadly interpreted Section 7. Um, they've done that recently in cases where employees are waiving their right to sue. And successfully, uh, these employees have argued to the board and to courts that Section 7, even if they're non-union employees, uh, don't involve a waiver of group rights. So the question I would pose is, can, Cop uh, can Colin Kaepernick assert um, that um, he's asserting rights for black players and for other uh, people who are political supporters um, and, and assert this under Section 7 of the NLRA as an unfair labor practice. There is a doctrine called the Collier Doctrine. The Labor Board would have to weigh whether that, too, is something that is better suited for the arbitration process. To that point, I would say uh, he has some chance of success because, <clears throat> as far as I can tell, the CBA does not regulate political expression, does not <clears throat> regulate concerted activity in that way. Um, that's an undecided matter. So I've, I've laid out a fourth possibility, which is uh, filing an unfair labor practice with the National Labor Relations Board. One possible argument the NFL will marshal against Kaepernick is that he's violated team standards of conduct. Yet Professor Leroy says, not so fast. 
so these team standards um, relate um, uh, to detrimental conduct, and that is um, literally the, the the contract says that now. There will be specific standards for drug and alcohol um, and uh, performance enhancing uh, kinds of things, um, stimulants and depressants. All of that is specifically enumerated as regulated or prohibited. Um, but what we're talking about here is um, is kneeling at a football game during the national anthem conduct that is detrimental to the team or the league. Um, and you know the president has tweeted that it's inherently disrespectful. It's uh, unbefitting for a player to do it, um, and it reflects badly on the league. So if the league wanted to pick up that ball and run with it, uh, he's given them the basic argument. Um, but at this point, um, I don't see where there is a standard under which he could be disciplined, uh, or the only standard uh, conduct detrimental is um, as as we say in constitutional law, void for vagueness. So I think uh, I think it would be hard for the league to bootstrap after the fact and say this is conduct detrimental. If, as Professor Schmidt says, it's true that Kaepernick's federal claims face an uphill battle, and if Professor Leroy is right that his state law claims are preempted and his collusion grievance may struggle because of a lack of evidence, why is Kaepernick filed now? Many people, myself included, have wondered aloud, why is this happening? So um, my own thought is that um, he does not expect to win the grievance, but um, he and and perhaps uh, the NFLPA have um, thought through a larger strategy of how this plays out. Um, so um, if they think they're going to lose, the question is, why would they bring a losing grievance? And the answer might be to uh, mobilize more public opinion on their side. That's one possibility. I think um, another possibility and more likely is that the NFLPA um, really wants to bolster its contractual arguments for having a freestanding arbitration process. Um, they, they're going to put the Brady case, the Elliott case, the Adrian Peterson case, and some others out there uh, to be renegotiated. And hypothetically, if Kaepernick loses this, um, I think what they're what they could be doing is setting the table for the the next round of negotiations to free up all the arbitration from the commissioner's purview. So what's next for Kaepernick and other protesting players? Well, I I think that because the protest has spread so much and it's now last year you know it was Kaepernick and a few other players and now it's much more universal. Uh, I think that actually increases um, his opportunities or potential to get another job because I think it's become uh, will become more accepted by owners that players are going to do this and the fans are still going to come and fill the seats and so I think it'll be less of a there'll be less of a downside on their part to, to hire him. Um, whether this protest continues, um, tough to say. Um, we also should talk about Dave Megacy. Dave Megacy was a St. Louis Cardinal. Um, he, at some point um, in his seventh year in the league, he became uh, politically active and very uh, concerned about the war in Vietnam. And at some point during the um, national anthem, he took off his helmet and raised it defiantly. 
So I'm just mentioning that um, when you look back on the history of the NFL, Colin Kaepernick is a trailblazer, but he's not the first guy to protest during the national anthem. I don't know if Megacy is the first guy either, but there is this example. The next thing to tell you about Megacy is that after that season was over, he could not find work anywhere else. Um, just factually, it looks similar to the um, cold shoulder that uh, Colin Kaepernick is receiving. It's also similar in terms of how the players reacted. Megacy didn't sue. He went on to become a social and political activist. He now works for the union. Um, and, and he broadened his critique uh, to include the violence of football and the football culture. And Colin Kaepernick, I think, is striking because he, he doesn't talk in terms of a personal grievance or wanting to sue. He's talking about raising consciousness, which he has done uh, quite successfully, and Megacy wanted to do that as well. So at the end of the day, uh, maybe the right way to think about this is not in terms of uh, legal redress, but whether taking a stand and losing your job for it, um, but making progress in terms of having the nation discuss something of political importance, maybe that's where this whole matter needs to be framed. This is Briefly, a production of the University of Chicago Law Review. The episode this week has been produced by Grace Bridwell, Tom Malloy, and myself, John Tinkin. Thank you to our entire online team, including Tom Garvey, Noel Ottman, and Catherine Running. And special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Pat Ward, and executive editor, Kyle Jorstad. This week's music is from bensound.com. This is our very first episode, so we'd like to further thank last year's online group and managing board for all their support. Thanks for listening.